0: Once that I spoke, we summarised the book of Jonah and we pretty much glanced over chapter 2. So this morning we're going to come back and we're going to focus on what happened to Jonah as he sank beneath the sea. Now, by way of recap, just so we can be brought up to speed from, to where we're reading from this morning, we'll look back on Jonah 1. And in Jonah 1 we see that God spoke to Jonah and he commissioned him to take his word to the people of Nineveh. And how did Jonah respond? Well, he disobeyed the Lord and he made plans to go to a place called Tarshish, which was in the opposite direction from where Nineveh was. Some commentators have highlighted that the journey that Jonah took to Tarshish was a downward journey he went down to Joppa, which was the port where he caught the ship. He went down into the ship and then he went down into the lowest part of the ship once it set sail and there he fell asleep. Okay, and then a huge storm hit and it was a really fantastic, awesome storm. It was like no storm that the sailors had ever seen before. And then we see that during that time that Jonah was thrown down into the sea. And as we read through chapter 2, we will see that Jonah went down to the moorings of the mountain. He went down as far as he could possibly go. Now as we read through Jonah 2, we will look at Jonah's upward journey from the great depths. How did he get out of this situation? We will find that he cried out to the Lord, And that his only way up was the Lord. And it was only through his grace and mercy. Now the key verse for us this morning is verse 9. Salvation is of the Lord. And that is our main theme for this morning. Okay, so Jonah chapter 2. We might actually just go back one verse in chapter 1 to verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Shoal I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surround me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surround me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy but I will sacrifice to you. Sounds like Jonah's had a call. Pretty good where the reception gets to. (laughs) Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Okay, this morning as we look through Jonah 2, I'm going to bring forward four points. We're going to see how Jonah chose to rebel. We're going to look at the fact that Jonah was in, was in real deep. We're going to look at Jonah's only hope. And fourthly, we're going to look at Jonah and the cross. Now one of the, uh, point number one, Jonah chose to rebel. One of the interesting things that we discover as we read about different people in the Bible, we see that they are far from perfect. Usually heroes are expected to be of strong character and we expect them to make the right choices, particularly when they are under pressure. Jonah, it seems, is in good company in Scripture when it comes to people walking outside the will of God. When we look at Jonah himself, he was a man of God, he was a prophet, he knew the will of God, However, he deliberately chose to ignore God and to run and hide. He started his downward journey hoping to retire in the seaside settlement of Tashish. That way he could have been away from God and he definitely was going to be away from the people of Nineveh. Now, we can surmise from what we read here that Jonah broke off contact with God as well. As far as we can see, He didn't pray until he was in big trouble when he was sinking below the Mediterranean Sea. He didn't pray when God commissioned him to go to speak to the people of Nineveh. He didn't pray when he was going to Tashish. He didn't pray when the ship set off and he didn't pray when he was even asked to when the storm had hit. It appears that Jonah broke off contact with God And it wasn't until he was knocking on death's door that he finally cried out to him. That he finally woke up and realised where he was and called out to the Lord. It's quite common when we move outside the will of God that we break off contact with him. We pull away from the things of God and continue on. And we are apparently oblivious to our own spiritual condition. We don't even have to totally pull away from the Lord. We can go through the motions. We appear to be doing all the right things, but we are not really relating to God and His Word. It's not, His will and His purposes are not impacting our actions, our lives, or our character. Now there are similar examples to Jonah's in the Bible. Uh, there's Adam and Eve. They were in a very close relationship with God, and everything was going very good for them until they chose to disobey God. And then things turned out quite catastrophic. The prodigal son, even though he's not a real person, he's a um, character in one of Jesus' parables, he gives us another sort of similarity to what Jonah went through. Now the prodigal son had everything that he could possibly need, but he chose to cash in his inheritance and go live his own life in the world. He definitely went on a downward spiral and we can read about how he was living it up and how he was partying. That everything was going great guns until finally the money ran out and he hit rock bottom. And it wasn't until he was wallowing in his despair that he remembered his father. And his only hope was to return to his father and seek his mercy. King David is another example that we will look at briefly. His trouble came not through deliberately defying God, but rather through temptation. And we can definitely see a downward spiral when he was first met um, Bathsheba. David wasn't in any physical danger like Jonah was but he certainly ended up in spiritual deep water. Jonah himself was in doubly deep. He was in physical danger as well as in spiritual danger. Okay, so what happened with King David? David stayed at home when he should have been at war. He spotted Bathsheba and found her to be beautiful to behold. He then found out who she was and he was informed that she was married. But even knowing that, He still arranged things so that he could sleep with her. And then what happened? Well, Bathsheba became pregnant. So, to counteract this, David conceived a cunning plan where he would bring her husband Uriah back from the war so that he could lay with his wife and then that would cover up the fact that she was pregnant to someone other than her husband, other than, well, namely David. Now despite David's best efforts, Uriah refused to go home and lay with his wife. This is what he stated. He said that while the Ark of the Covenant is dwelling in a tent and the armies of the Lord are camped in a field, I'm not going to go home and eat, drink and lay with my wife. So David's plan was foiled. So he had to come up with another cunning plan. And it just gets more and more sinister as we go along he organised for Uriah to go back to the battle and to be exposed to the fiercest fighting. That way, he would most likely be killed. And the gall of it all was that David even had Uriah deliver a sealed message to the army's commander issuing the order to carry out this murderous plot. This scheme of David's worked and Uriah was indeed killed. And when news of Uriah's death came back to David, he made some flippant ke Sarah comment and then he went on to marry Bathsheba and he brought her into his home and she bore him a son. So David had gone from staying home to coveting his neighbour's wife, to committing adultery, to trying to cover it up, to committing murder. He then got away with murder and he got what he wanted and married Bathsheba. It really was a downward spiral. And this process went on for a period of time. It went on for at least nine months. And it appears that David either didn't realise or he didn't acknowledge that he was living outside the will of God. Most of us sitting on the sidelines would be asking, how does this happen? What were you thinking? It wasn't until Nathan the prophet exposed the sin to him that David finally realised the gravity of what he had done. He confessed his sin and repented. You can read his response in Psalm 51. And we see that David remained king, but there were severe consequences for his actions. Sadly, this sort of downward spiral is not unheard of among believers. What starts out as a small thing that goes unchecked, grows into a big mess. The person involved seems to go numb towards God. They either ignore him or they don't really submit to him. They go through the motions. They have their spiritual blinkers on when it comes to considering their own spiritual condition. And this person ends up in way too deep. David did, and that is also where we find Jonah at the beginning of our reading today. Point number two, Jonah was in deep. Now some of the language that Jonah used in chapter two is that of great peril. As we read through chapter two, we see that there is a lot of similarities to Psalm 18, which we read earlier. This is how Jonah describes the situation. He was cast into the deep. The flood surrounded him. The billows and the waves passed over him. Weeds wrapped around his head and the earth with its bars closed behind him. He talks about being brought out of the pit. Things were looking pretty bleak, and Jonah was in deep trouble. Like David, Jonah came to a point where he finally recognised that he was in trouble. They say that before you can deal with a problem, you have to recognise that you have a problem. And Jonah certainly recognised that he had a problem. This is what he said. I cry out to the Lord because of my affliction. Now notice the word that he used there was affliction. That's why he cried out to the Lord. He wasn't crying out to the Lord out of his affection. He was in big trouble. So he was crying out to the Lord out of his desperation. Jonah also says that he cried out to the Lord out of the belly of Sheol. Now, Sheol is a Hebrew word which means for the place of the dead. So it gives you a bit of an idea of where he saw himself as being. And finally we see that he says that I have been cast out of your sight. The ultimate consequence of sin is being cast out of the sight of God. Now I think to be fair, in this case it would have been pretty obvious that Jonah was in trouble. At this point in time, he was rapidly sinking below the waves into oblivion. But the possibility of consequences didn't seem apparent to Jonah as he was on his journey to Tashish. The thought that God may discipline him for his disobedience and rebellion didn't occur to him. It was pretty obvious now. Note what Jonah says in regard to God's hand in what was happening. He says, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. It was the sailors that physically threw him overboard, but they were just agents of God's judgment. All your billows and your waves passed over me. I have been cast out of your sight. When we sin against God, he disciplines us and allows us to experience the consequences and the pain that comes with that. This can sometimes continue long after we have repented. It did in David's case. However, he does not deal with us in such a way to destroy us. He brings us towards hope and Jonah prescribes to that hope below the depths of the sea. Point number three, Jonah's only hope. Now, looking back, when I was about or eight years old, I was in awe of this little electronic box which was in the corner of our lounge. There were some pretty awesome programs on in those days, despite what my kids say about reruns. I particularly remember two of my favourite programs at the time. Um, the first one was called The Gemini Man and I don't remember too much about it because I've never ever seen any reruns. That's how good it was. But basically what it was, was this: he was an invisible man. But, and here's the cool thing, he could only be invisible for 15 minutes each day. And he became invisible by pressing a button on his watch. It was pretty cutting edge stuff. The other program that I particularly enjoyed each night after school was a rerun of the 60s TV series of Batman. Now I just want to note that it is a rerun Okay, I'm not as old as the youth group make out that I am. We went away on camp recently and I got absolutely hammered for being old. Okay, anyway, Batman, he had a cool costume. He had a secret hideaway, he had a Batmobile and he had all sorts of gadgets. It was really cool. The best thing about Batman was the suspense of Batman facing impending doom at the end of every episode. Some ridiculous supervillain would capture Batman and Robin. He would tie them to some over-the-top death contraction. And there was it just looked like there was no way for Batman and Robin to get out. How would he escape? And it was a case of having to tune into the same bat channel at the same bat time to find out what happened. And it seemed like an eternity to the next episode. And you can imagine if they played it on a Friday, I had the whole weekend to wait and find out what happened to Batman. But it was worth it, because Batman always foiled his enemies. He would use either some device from his utility belt or some scientific logic or some natural event. I mean, I remember even one time he used a solar eclipse to escape from wherever he was. Of course, as you get older, you start asking questions like, why did they go to such incredible lengths to kill Batman? Weren't there any bullets in the 60s? And why, oh why, did the Bat guys... Bad guys, not the bad guys, the bad guys were the good guys. But why or why did the bad guys always, always leave Batman on his own, to his own devices, right at the crucial time? Inevitably that was when he escaped. Like Batman, at the end of each episode, Jonah was in deep trouble. How was Jonah going to be saved? He didn't have a utility belt. Who was going to save Jonah. He couldn't save himself. He was, as we read, he was in really big trouble. There was no way he was going to get himself out of that situation. Could others save him? Well, no. The only ones nearby were the sailors who threw him overboard. And as soon as they threw him overboard, the storm calmed down. So I don't think they would have been too keen. And even if they could, Jonah was beyond their reach. Jonah was on his own. Jonah recognised that it was pointless to rely on idols to save you. Those who regard idols forsake their mercy. Now an idol isn't just a statue that we've got uh, sitting on our mantelpiece at home. It is anything that we place before God. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. But when we value something more than we value God, then it does become a bad thing. Now it's probably fair to suggest that Jonah's idol was his patriotism. He regarded his loyalty to Israel and the welfare of his nation more important than obeying God and doing his will by taking the word of the Lord to the Assyrians who were Israel's enemies. So we see that Jonah couldn't save himself, others couldn't save him and there was indeed nothing on earth that could save him. There was only one hope for Jonah and he recognised that his only hope was the Lord. I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you in your holy temple. Then Jonah goes on to make this great declaration, Salvation is of the Lord. The only way up, is God. We can read in Psalm 39 verses 7-8 to and this is what the psalmist says. And now Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. And as Jesus states in John 14.6 and we stated as well earlier I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jonah repented of his disobedience and God in his mercy and his grace saves him. And it may seem strange but salvation came in the form of a great fish which the Lord had prepared and Jonah spent three days and three nights in that fish. I think if it was me, I probably would have preferred Jacques Cousteau in his diving gear with a spare oxygen tank. Point number four, Jonah and the cross. Okay, we've already seen that there are similarities between Jonah and other portions of scripture. We've seen how someone who has turned from God realise what they've done, they've turned away from their wrongdoing and called upon the Lord. They then submit to him and are saved by his grace and his mercy. Ultimately what all of these spiritual experiences point to is the work of the cross. The gospel is central to the whole of scripture and it's probably time me to remind ourselves that the gospel is applicable to the believer and the unbeliever. The work of the cross is still at work in the believer's life after they have been saved. When we are saved, that is only the beginning. Because of what Christ did on the cross, God and us are working together to transform ourselves to be more like Christ. Why? Well, it's part of our ultimate salvation process. We've become more available to be used by God for his purposes and his glory. Max Ricardo puts it like this. Why does God have you on the course? Why didn't he beam you up the moment he saved you? The fact is, you and I are here for a reason. And that reason is to glorify God in our service. We'll come back to that in more detail soon. So here are three ways in which we can draw similarities between Jonah's story and the cross. The first is the similarity between Jonah and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Before Jesus went to the cross, he talked about the sign of Jonah. This is the sign that he gave as evidence that he was who he said he was, the long awaited Messiah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And his claim proved to be true. Jesus died on the cross, he was placed in the tomb for three days, And he triumphantly conquered death and sin. And because of this we have substance to our faith. Now you could probably argue that Jonah's deliverance from the fish was not exactly triumphant. The Hebrew word used in verse 10 for how Jonah was delivered from the fish is the word vayak. Now if we carefully analyse this word and go back to its original meaning we see that it translates into English as vomit. So here it is for all time written that Jonah was fish vomit. Not exactly triumphant or glorious, was it? Well, was it? Let's put ourselves into Jonah's sandals for just a moment. He willingly rebelled against God and he knew that he had done that and he knew that there would be consequences to that. He was this close to drowning. And on top of that, he just spent three days in the belly of a fish. And we can't even fathom of how horrible that would be. There are some pretty heavy consequences going on there for disobeying God. So I'm guessing that as Jonah stood on that seashore, covered in goodness knows what, that he would have felt that he indeed had come out of winter this time. Not only had he escaped, but he was restored by God and his ministry was to continue. Second, we shall look at the similarity of what happened to Jonah and what happened for the non-believer. At the beginning of our history, mankind had a close relationship with God. However, Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. This brought spiritual death and separation from God for all people. Because of this, the spiritually dead person is in a perilous situation. They cannot save themselves, they cannot be saved by others, and they cannot be saved by any idol, or by any ideals, or by any possessions, or by anything of this earth. However, they have a great hope that they can be saved by God. God in his mercy and his grace didn't send a great fish But he sent his own son who took on the sin of the world when he died on the cross. He was buried and then he was triumphantly resurrected. He conquered the power of sin and death. The non-believer can be saved by turning from their sin, calling on the Lord and surrendering their life to him. The difference between Jonah and today's non-believer is that there is no downward journey. The person who is not a follower of Christ is already in deep. Our sinful nature is something that we have inherited. We are born into it. It is part of who we are. But as with Jonah, there is hope. There is someone who can save us. Reading from 1 Corinthians 15 But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And a similar verse in Romans chapter 5. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. And the third thing that we shall look at here is the similarity of Jonah's story and how the believer handles their sin. Now we see that Jonah was a man of God who chose to walk away from the Lord. And we know from 2 Kings 14 that Jonah was a prophet based in Israel. He had a relationship with God. But Jonah decided to say no to God. He tried to get away from him and he rebelled against him and he was on a downward journey of sin. Part of what the cross is about is the refinement of the believer to become more Christ-like. Now part of this refinement or sanctification process is how we deal with our day-to-day sin and how we deal with the sin and rebellion that has taken a deeper hold on our lives. A simplified version of this process is to say that we are learning from our mistakes. But it goes a bit further than that. God who loves us disciplines us when we move outside of his will. Not so that we can just know what not to do next time, but rather that we can implement real change into our nature so that we can become more like Christ. And this is accomplished pretty much in the same way that Jonah reacted to his situation and how the non-believer comes to know God you turn from your sin, you submit to God, and God in his mercy and grace will forgive you and lead you on that path of restoration and salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. Of course there are other aspects to this process of becoming more Christ-like. It's not all about dealing with our sin. We need to submit to God. This includes things like getting into the word of God, praying, Uh, getting into fellowship and everything that that entails. Things like discipleship, teaching, serving and loving others. When we do this, we grow in Christian maturity. And all of this stems from the cross and is achievable because of the Holy Spirit who dwells within the believer. Paul writes this to the Thessalonians. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, Beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel, for obtaining the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Philippians 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as much as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do His great pleasure. Okay, in closing, um, I've only got one point of application today, um, but I hope that this one point of application just draws us back to what uh, Jonah 2 is telling us. And um, my application point is this. It's never too late to call on the Lord. We see in Jonah too that Jonah was in great peril and he was so through his own doing, it was through his own devices that he he was there. And even when it appeared that it was all over, he remembered that there was hope. This is what he says: When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you in your holy temple. As long as we have breath, it is never too late to cry out to the Lord. Uh, We can remember another example like the thief on the cross. Now the flip side of this is that it is never too early to call upon the Lord. For us to grow in Christ, we need to seek him consistently and constantly. It is wise for us to deal with anything that hinders this as early as possible. It is wise for us not to allow it to become a huge stumbling block. We can avoid unnecessary heartache and can be where God wants us to be a lot sooner. Let's finish with the words of Jonah as he went on to dedicate himself to the Lord. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we just acknowledge this morning that you are indeed our great hope, and Lord, just just as we're praying, Lord, I just pray for for anyone here who, Lord, feels like that they haven't really been calling out to you recently, that Lord, they haven't been seeking you, and Lord, that they are on that downward spiral. Lord, I just pray that this word this morning will speak to them. That Lord, that that you are indeed the great hope that we have. That Lord, that the only way that we are saved, whether it's as non-believers or whether it's as we are being transformed to be more Christ-like, is through you, is through the work of the cross. Lord, may we always, always call upon you in each and every situation that we're in. If anyone wants to um wants prayer or wants to talk to someone, there's, there's a couple of us elders here so you can um catch up with us later. Also we have a body of believers here as well. Um so if you feel that you need prayer or want to talk to someone about things Please just approach someone that you know and you trust and 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 speak and pray with them as well. Amen. Thank you, Peter.